Welcome to the Daily Objective. It is day 49, I believe, of the war. Um, and uh, it is a big news day. We will talk about the news in 30 minutes on the reality show. It's also a big guest day here on uh, the Daily Objective. Uh, I'm joined by Douglas Carswell. He is the uh, president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy um, and a friend of the channel. He's uh, been on in the past. And uh, we're going to talk about... Um, the reaction to the war in the UK, especially in uh, in politics and in the media. Uh, so uh, Douglas is, is also a former member of parliament uh, for UKIP and for the Conservative Party, which is the party that's uh, more interesting to us in the sense of uh, they're, they're in power. So we uh, want to know their response and why uh, they um, why why it is that uh, the response is what it is. But we're going to talk about the opposition party first. So in the Labour Party, which we've been talking about on this channel a lot, um, up until recently, it seemed like Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, is is basically just waiting until it's uh, is pretty much guaranteed to be the next prime minister of this country. Um, now there is growing opposition from within his own party. And the reason for that is that he didn't immediately call for a ceasefire after Hamas was finished uh, slaughtering Jews. And, um, uh, you know, he didn't, uh, <clears throat> yeah, he, he called for, uh, you know, humanitarian pauses and so on. And within his party, obviously, uh, Corbyn may lo no longer be the leader, but the Corbyn faction is still strong enough that you... Um, you can hear their uh, displeasure from uh, the fact that Israel is uh, not considered public enemy number one. Uh, Douglas, what what can you tell us about uh, what you know about the Labour Party? How how much is, of this is uh, still a problem within the party? And uh, is, is uh, Keir Starmer in trouble? The British Labour Party has a long and honourable tradition of being pro-Israel. Um, going way back to the sort of the 60s and the 70s, there was a huge amount of uh, goodwill towards Israel on the British left, um, partly because I think the young Israeli Republic with its tradition of uh, kibbutz and uh, collectivism was seen as being a, a natural um, ally of the British left. And, um, you know, what, what I find really disturbing is how that long and honourable tradition on the British left has almost entirely withered. And we see today the sight of a uh, Labour leader who is riding high in the opinion polls being dictated to by a faction within his party that is not, um, if not explicitly pro-Islamist, is, is certainly willing to turn a blind eye to, to terrorism. And you know, even, even before Israel had managed to work out how many Israelis had been killed, even before Israel had managed to bury her dead, um, let alone um, counter-attack um, Hamas. There were those on the British left who were uh, reveling in a sort of festival of, of anti-Israeli hatred. And I think this is a real problem for the British Labour leader, Keir Starmer, because however honourable he might be, however sensible, and, and I think his instincts on this are actually very good, he is nonetheless confronted by a, a, a sort of fanatical faction within the Labour Party who want to see him completely side with, with Hamas. It, it, it's quite extraordinary. Part of it is, I think, um, the Islamist nature of, of some um, opinion within British society now. Um, um, we, we've skated over this ever since the Salman Rushdie affair. That was an affair back in the 1980s when the author Salman Rushdie 
published a, a book that uh, some religious fanatics deemed to be uh, 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 blasphemous. Um, in a free society like the United Kingdom, we don't have a blasphemy law. You can publish what you want. You have a right to be an objectionable idiot um, rather than just dismiss him as an objectionable idiot. Um, people try to actually make threats um, and, and, and he's been pretty much in hiding. Um, the British left has sort of abandoned its, its traditional commitment towards Israel, towards free speech, and is now beholden to a faction within it that there's no getting around it. They, they are sympathetic to the teachings of Saeed Qutub and the Muslim Brotherhood and political Islamism. And I think that is deeply disturbing, not just for the Labour Party, but for anyone who, who loves the United Kingdom. It is deeply worrying that a, a major political party is being influenced by is political Islamism. Uh, you know, I saw a few years ago the beginning of a documentary. I, I switched off quickly, but uh, it was uh, about the revolution in Iran where when the Ayatollahs took over. And um, a woman was interviewed and she was a, a communist. And she said, you know, we fought alongside the alongside the Islamists because uh, we thought the Shah was so bad. And we were shocked to see that uh, the alternative was actually worse. So I don't know. I, I hope we won't get to that point uh, when uh, the British left learns of uh, the error of its ways on on this one point although they err on many other points uh mm -hmm. i think just to um stay on this for for a moment uh, you know jeremy corbyn specifically is something that i think is unique to uh to british politics i think our our audience which is mostly in the us um you know they they'll probably compare him to bernie sanders and so on but it, it, there there is nothing comparable like jeremy corbyn almost became prime minister uh, I I would say has been openly anti-Semitic over decades. Yeah, yeah go ahead. I, I I think it's worth actually spending a bit of time exploring the motives of some of those that we've seen, particularly in London, particularly in the UK, but also here in the United States, um, who have taken to the streets um, to protest in favour of Hamas. Um, I I don't think it does justice to simply say anti-Semitic. I I think there's a strong element of that, but I. I think we should really, and I think we urgently need to actually understand this toxic brew of ideas. Part, part of the problem is clearly political Islamism on the streets of London. And, and you see this, some of the more extreme uh, 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 imams in, in British mosques, some of those behind the, uh, 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 the protests in London and indeed the United States are clearly um, adherents of political Islamism. That is to say they are influenced by the teachings of Saeed Qutb and the Muslim Brotherhood. But I think... If it was simply political Islamism that we were dealing with, it would be, if you like, a, a clearer a clearer problem to have. No less a problem, but a clearer problem to have. You have, in addition, what you might call sympathizers to, to, to Hamas, who are sympathetic, I think, based on, on ethnicity. Um, they are either uh, recent um, Arab uh, uh, settlers in the West, um, and they feel an affinity, an ethnic affinity, you might almost say a tribal affinity. That is that is certainly an issue. But I can't help noticing lots of people in America and Britain at these rallies who are not by any stretch of the imagination political Islamists, who are not ethnically Arab or, or indeed often they're not migrant settlers themselves. They are influenced, I think, by something that is, is, is as toxic. They are influenced, whether they're aware of it or not, by the teachings of, of Rousseau. Um, who sees um, modernity and modern industrial Western society as bad and anything um, in opposition to that is inherently noble and virtuous and good. And they project onto the um, Israel-Arab conflict in the Middle East, 
these notions um, ultimately derived from from Rousseau, and um, it, it it creates a very very toxic brew because you you have British leftists siding with political Islamists. I mean, it's a puzzle, isn't it? You see you see so called feminists marching um, in support of a political organisation, which, frankly, if it took control, would um, send them. Um, to the kitchen and cover them in a burqa. You see um, so-called um, queers for Palestine. Um, these are people who are campaigning in favor of a political organization which would would, would kill people like them um, if, if they got the chance. Uh, it's not enough just to point out the absurdity of this contradiction. We need to sort of understand that this fusion of what you might call sort of neo-Jacobin um, Rousseau ideas, Rousseau's philosophy, which is to delegitimize all that is value and uh, valuable and precious in the West, um, overlaid with a, a sheen of political Islamism, creates a very, very dangerous um, revolutionary movement in the West on Western campuses. It's, it's influential. We've seen it in top Ivy League universities. And I, I, I think if we're to stop it and defeat it, and it's imperative that we do, we need to understand it's not just political Islamism. There are these um, Western um, leftists who, who fundamentally um, have ideas derived from Rousseau's um, interpretation of the human condition. And unless we're prepared to challenge that, then I think this, this however absurd it might be for this coalition to form, we will see this, this coalition become increasingly influential. Already, it's rather alarming to see left-wing politicians in Europe and the UK, in effect, caving into this this, this uh, uh, toxic coalition. But we need to understand the nature of this coalition if we are to intellectually defeat it the way a generation ago um, our forebearers defeated Soviet communism. Yeah, I was, uh, I was in New York last week. I was in a cafe and in the table next to me, uh, there were two people sitting and uh, the woman was saying, uh, you know, I haven't seen any evidence of uh, rape in the in the um, you know in what Hamas did, uh, except for one eyewitness uh, statement. And and she goes on and on, and I'm sitting there, my blood boiling, trying not to uh, you know do anything that uh, would get me kicked out of the place. And um, and at some point she says, "Yeah, I know there's the whole believe her thing," and she's trying to she's trying to kind of fit these two things together because on the one hand, if you're a, a you know, modern third wave feminist, you have to believe a woman who accuses a man at at, at the moment she accuses. On the other hand, um, you know, in the, in this case, not so much because uh, Israel, you know, it, it didn't happen in a vacuum, as the uh, um, UN uh, general uh, secretary general said. Uh, to to what extent do you think this this kind of thinking um, is also influencing the media in the UK, where I think we see a very clear anti-Israel bias? I, I think you do. I mean, I've been really quite shocked at um, some of the comments from some UK TV broadcasters. And it's made me actually think, what on earth are we doing with these long-serving third-rate broadcasters <laughs> interpreting the world around us on our behalf? They 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 have such a, a, a sort of myop, a myopia, a moral myopia. You know, let, let's just remember the facts. Uh, you know, a a um, peaceful liberal democracy was attacked two months ago um, with um, hundreds of its citizens uh, massacred in the most savage and brutal manner um, imaginable. Um, this is a, a totally sort of unprovoked attack. Um, if it was um, an equivalent number in the UK, it would be several tens of thousands of citizens 
um, murdered in the most grotesque manner. Um, hundreds of Israelis were also carted off into a, a, um, a, a captivity to be hostages in Gaza, and, and, and goodness knows how they've been treated over the past eight weeks. It, it, it doesn't bear thinking about. Um, and, and yet somehow the British left and the so-called intelligentsia in the UK and the broadcast media look to point the finger at Israel, as Israel is, I think, actually showing remarkable self-restraint um, as, it, as, it, as it counters um, this, this uh, terrorist threat. Um, far from you know raising Gaza to the ground, Israel has actually been very methodic in, in, in passing out information as to what it's intending to do, giving citizens um, in Gaza, civilians in Gaza, not that there's a, a, a clear difference between who are terrorists and who are civilians, but giving, giving the people in those uh, buildings and settlements the opportunity to move, um, behaving very responsibly. Um, and yet at every opportunity, there is a British journalist back in London wanting to point the finger and wag the finger in a moralistic fashion at Israel. And it's, it's, it's frankly rather sickening. I mean, could you imagine if we had um, Kay Burley or, or some of these dreadful broadcasters uh, reporting um, in London in the late 1930s and early 1940s? You know, um, there's nothing sophisticated or superior about uh, moral equivalence between Hamas and Israel. Sure, all governments make mistakes and it's fair to criticize the actions of the Israeli government. There's no one more critical of the actions of the Israeli government than the Israeli people themselves. They're a, a vigorous democracy. In, in, in fact, uh, on, on several trips when I've been to Israel, people have said, you know, um, you know, um, even within parties in Israel, you get a whole a range of different opinions. But this idea that somehow it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, Hamas versus Israel, it, it, it shows a sort of moral um, infantilization of the West. I actually think the whole events of the past two months, they, they tell me that, yes, Israel has a problem. But kind of Israel knows that and Israel can take care of itself because Israel seems to me to be quite a, a morally grown up country. What I think the real problem is, is the West, particularly the United Kingdom and, and various other European countries. They don't realize that this is their problem. And... The, the, the opinion formers and the political elite are so third rate and infantilized, they don't even know that they've got this problem, let alone have they yet figured out the moral tools to respond to it. Um, I, I think that you know, Israel will endure in, in, in this instance, it, it will destroy Hamas. Um, I, I worry though that um, security and safety and social cohesion in uh, Western Europe. That, I think, um, the future of that is far less secure than that of Israel. Yeah, you mentioned Kay Burley. We we were talking about her um, special question uh, yesterday. She she tweeted, uh, you know, in defense of it today, you know, sometimes people off the cuff make mistakes and you can uh, say, look, uh, you know, wasn't thinking clearly, but no, she still thinks that was a good question. Uh, by the way, no mention of the fact that the 150 people that Israel is releasing are terrorists who committed terrorist attacks. Uh, they they didn't succeed enough in that nobody was murdered. So most of them, uh, you know, uh, stabbed people and the people they stabbed didn't die. So they are now being released. Uh, but yeah, it's reported as women and children. So What's so disturbing about what you might call the Kay Burley um, methodology? Um, of broadcasting is that there's a desire to 
find fault as the interviewer with the person with whom she's um, having a discussion. And, and so throwing out these sort of asinine uh, points disguised as questions, um, it, it, it's, it's bizarre. I, I haven't ever watched a single interview by Kay Burley where she's informed or enlightened the interviewer as to something they didn't know, or given the person that she's interviewing an opportunity to actually elaborate and explain their position. It's, it's, it's simply a case of, it's a sort of television version of, of, of Twitter. It's the um, um, assertion of, of uh, fatuous points. Um, I, I think what's really interesting though in broadcasting is how you know, you've got a, a whole bunch of ancient broadcasters in the mainstream television um, um, universe in, in the UK. Uh, you know, um, uh, uh, John Simpson's another one that comes to mind. Um, I, I think he's retired now, but, you know, uh, uh, John Snow, Channel 4. And there's a, there's a whole host of these rather third-rate broadcasters. And because they're so bad at their job, people are actually turning, um, Razzie, to new broadcasters, people like Ben Shapiro, um, you know, um, Jordan Peterson. Um, you, you, you're, you're far more likely to find original thought explaining what's happening in the Middle East or analyzing uh, the situation that Israel finds itself in by going to those kind of new, uh, new age uh, broadcasters. Um, but, but, but what a tragedy to think that, you know, there are tens of millions of people in the UK whose opinions are shaped by the fatuous um, um, posturing of, of people like Kay Burley. It's rather depressing. Yeah, well, if anybody uh, watching has had enough of Kay Burley, the Ayn Rand Center UK is part of that new media. We are here uh, twice a day with the Daily Objective and the Reality Show, and I think we're doing uh, better than better than uh, some of the major broadcasters. Who uh, you know, the the salary of any given uh, broadcaster there is probably uh, higher than our entire budget. Uh, <laughs> I do I do want to ask. Truth so, is priceless. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I do want to ask about uh, the Conservative Party, uh, which is in mm -hmm. power. And um, uh, Rishi Sunak, the, the leader of the party and the prime minister, uh, went to Israel, you know, showed his support and so on. Uh, the moment I think uh, it became clear that the support isn't, you know, he's not 100 percent behind Israel was the vote in the UN General Assembly on a ceasefire. I think they changed the wording of it, but that's what it meant. It was basically a ceasefire. And just to be clear, a ceasefire means Hamas is done with what they wanted to do. Now we need to stop Israel from responding. And Britain abstained in that. 14 countries voted uh, against it. And I think they should all be very proud. Uh, Britain abstained. What What do you make of that? And what do you think the, uh, the Conservative Party, which is, I think, generally definitely more pro-Israel, uh, the labor, uh, but what what do you think of their their stance? It's rather depressing, isn't it? I mean, first of all, I think the British Conservative Party is in office. I'm not sure they're in power. I think these decisions are largely made by the permanent civil service around them. There will be officials in the um, I think they call it the National Security Council trying to ape what the Americans have. There'll be officials in the Foreign Office, and they basically decide what British foreign policy is. But it, it's all rather depressing because in the wake of the terrorist outrages. Lots of people rallied to support Israel. Lots of politicians uh, went out of their way to find ever more ingenious uh, ways to uh, uh, signal um, on social media their support for Israel. But at that very moment, it was so obvious that what counts is not what you do in the immediate aftermath of the terror outrage. Are you, are you a friend of Israel for the long, hard slog? Um, and it's depressing to see that, you know, within eight weeks, 
um, of this outrage. Um, the British civil service and the foreign office mandarinate, who always have a sort of Arabist bent, um, tilting British foreign policy um, in a sort of direction of moral infantilism. Um, let's be clear what a civil uh, what a ceasefire means. Um, a large number of terrorists came out and massacred ordinary young Israelis, families, women, uh, young people at a music festival. They then fled back into Gaza, taking hostages and sought shelter in a network of tunnels that they have created for this purpose over many, many years, often indirectly uh, subsidized by uh, European aid money as they did so. Um, to give them a ceasefire is to give them a pass because they are holed up in these tunnels and it's only a matter of time before they're going to have to come out of those tunnels. Um, I don't think they were quite counting on the ferocity and determination of Israel's counter response. So if you're like the British government in favor of a ceasefire, if you're like the morally infantilized Archbishop of Canterbury, who's shown the moral leadership that you would expect from a, 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 a kindergarten student, if you grant them a ceasefire, you're giving them a pass. You're basically saying, you can come out of your uh, 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 tunnels, you can resupply, um, and you're, you're allowing them to get away with it. It, it. It's quite, quite, quite staggering. It would be a little bit like calling for a ceasefire, you know, a week after D-Day in the 1940s. Um, it, it, it's, it's simply wrong for the British government to do this. Um, talk is cheap. Um, what really matters is what the British government does to support Israel. And, you know, there's going to be a long, long slog ahead of us. Um, Israel is basically in the front line of a struggle that the wider West faces. Israel knows the enormity of the task ahead. When you see British government officials calling for a ceasefire, it's clear they have no idea as to the scale of the task ahead. They are the weakest link. It's not Israel. Uh, the United Kingdom, I think, is the weakest link in the West now. Yeah, yeah. As you mentioned, politically, it was definitely easier to side with Israel on October seventh than it was on November seventh, and that it will be on you know March seventh or however long this this takes. Uh, unfortunately, the only people really consistent in their moral stance on this are the people who are on the wrong side. Jeremy Corbyn yeah. tweeted on October seventh while this was going on uh, his support for a ceasefire before Israel even started. Razi, this may be relevant because we're talking about the infantilization of morality. Um, the very first memory I have as a human being uh, was of the events that happened on July the 4th, 1976. I was a five-year-old child living just outside Entebbe in Uganda. And I remember what happened that day. The good guys, these magical people called the Israelis, came from nowhere and they rescued hostages that had been taken by the bad guys, by the terrorists, by Idi Amin. And I remember as a, 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 a young child seeing ordinary Ugandans around me gleefully celebrating this. It was seen as the triumph of good against bad. Now, it didn't quite work out that way for the Ugandans. They discovered that actually they had to live under the regime that had colluded with the terrorists for several more years. But it was clear to my five-year-old mind that basically the Israelis are on the side of good and the terrorists are on the side of bad. And if a five-year-old can understand that, it, it, it beggars belief that we have Western governments today equivocating. I think actually a lot of the equivocating is born out of fear. 
A lot of them are fearful of the large number of pro-Islamist settlers that have come into the West. A lot of them are fearful of the consequences of standing up. Some of them are dependent upon Gulf, Gulf money. Some of them are dependent upon the benevolence of Saudi dictators. Um, but a, a small child ought to be able to understand that Israel is the good side in this and the terrorists are the bad side. It, 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 you know, I, I have a pretty strong prejudice in favor of Israel. Um, from a very early age, I understood that they are a force for good in this world. Um, it, it, it's quite depressing that some 40 something years later, Western leaders still don't understand this. They still want to uh, equivocate between a good country and terrorists that seek to destroy that good country. So we're almost running out of time. I will ask uh, one more question that Morgan asks in the chat. By the way, thank you, Bonnie, for the super chat. So Morgan asks, uh, what does Douglas think about the firing of Suella Braverman? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a member of the British Conservative Party, although I am a conservative. Um, I, I'm, I'm sad that she was uh, fired. Um, but I, I, her analysis was absolutely spot on. And what she said was absolutely correct. But what slightly depresses me is that, you know, she was a minister, she was a member of a government that ought to have been in a position to actually do something other than talk about it, than write articles about it. This is the fundamental problem for the British Conservatives. Even when they say the right thing, you know, who's been running the country for the past 14 years? Uh, why, why don't they do something about it? Why is there today a, a senior official from Hamas living in London? Why are there pro-Hamas activists and organizers and financiers based out of London? You know, um, if if only Suella Braveman had been a minister and was in a position to actually do something about it, well, she was and she didn't. And that's what I find so frustrating. So she was right, but I'm afraid she was pretty ineffective. Well, you know, uh, we, we, were, we started by talking about... Um... Keir Starmer and whether his party might, you know, uh, whether he's in trouble within his party. I mean, last time we uh, covered British politics heavily here on the channel was when the conservatives got rid of their leader, who I think, you know, they got rid of her for all the wrong reasons. So, yeah, there are interesting uh, things going on in British politics, interesting for all the wrong reasons. Uh, but hopefully we can discuss them in uh, more detail uh, in the future. Thank you very much, Douglas. Uh, Thank you, for joining me. And um, uh, yeah, we... Um, you can follow Douglas on Twitter. There is uh, going to be a link in the chat. And of course, uh, follow the um, the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Uh, there will be a link in the chat for that as well. I, I would just say one really uplifting thing. I've been so struck by the su support of ordinary Americans, particularly in the southern United States for Israel. It just comes instinctively. Um, in this part of Mississippi, you barely find anyone who's anything other than 100% behind Israel. And I, I, I hope Israelis don't forget that. Um, most decent Americans are a hundred percent with you. Yeah, yeah. America is, uh, you know, in many ways, the only ally that Israel really has, which you know, is is both a good and a bad thing. Because if you're going to have one ally, that's the ally you want. Um, thanks, Douglas. Uh, we'll see you here soon, and uh, we will be back with uh, the reality show starts in two minutes. And tomorrow on the Daily Objective, I will be joined by uh, David Deutsch. So. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you, Douglas. Thank you, everybody, for watching, and Wonderful. we'll see you in a minute.